0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: What's up Madridistas? This is Keon Subani. Happy Friday. We just wanted to get a clip out for you guys today. It's taken from this week's mailbag. As you guys know, once a week over on patreoncom Madrid, we answer questions that are submitted through our Discord, and we always have fun doing it cuz the questions take us in so many different directions, and it's usually Lucas Navarrete and I who answer the questions. He's away this week. In the USA, having the time of his life. Looks uh, like he's having a fun time on Instagram stories anyway. So Jose Perez stepped in and we answered a bunch of questions. This particular clip is about Real Madrid's financial situation. Are we worried? How will they compete with the unrecognizable football and financial landscape that is in 2023 from what we were used to growing up? And will Real Madrid ever switch to private ownership? That would be a dark day. Jose and I discussed that. There's also a little bonus segment in there about Jurgen Klopp and whether or not he would be a good fit at Real Madrid one day. And the full episode, we get into a bunch of things. We talk about Vinicius' struggles in the diamond, something that both Jose and I feel is a bit exaggerated. We explain why. We also get into Jude Bellingham player comps. And our thoughts on Gabri Vega going to Saudi Arabia. So full episode is in the show notes if you want access to it. We also did a great live call on Wednesday. That's another weekly thing that patrons get. So hope to see you on the inside over on Patreon.com slash And as always, please keep it locked on Uh Kanita did an excellent piece summarizing the Rubiales situation. That actually went up last night, which was Thursday. Today, he disgraced himself even further. I'm sure you guys have all seen the images, heard the words. Just embarrassing. He's a shameless bastard. And hopefully, it gets sorted out soon. <sighs> Updates on that will also be on the website, hopefully, by the time you listen to this. Um, also on the website, a couple of tactical articles one from me, one from Mehdi Hassan, talking points from the first couple games, and a ton of content, of course, coming your way after the game. Enjoy the clip. Let's go. And Maza says, Madrid, in comparison to many clubs, has seen very few trophy droughts. With the emergence of the Saudi Pro League, the Premier League having state ownership and massive TV deals, and what seems the inevitable dark ages coming for La Liga, can Madrid sustain this long, or can Madrid sustain this level long-term without switching to private ownership? What are your feelings about this?
0: Hmm. I'd like to take this I'd like to take this one first so um so that th- this one's a very, a very interesting one because of course you one wonders I mean th- those are all forces that seem to be acting against La Liga b- but uh in general Real Madrid Real Madrid uh well and even Barcelona despite the financial issues uh are outliers well on several on several things like first of all um the pool that these two clubs have, regardless of their finance, like regardless of financial status, is, is kind of incredible. Like these, I I do think that even that, na- like even now, Real Madrid and Barcelona can pool play. Like of course the the prem club, Premier League clubs, and the the petro state funded clubs. Have can offer a lot of money, but the pool that these two clubs can still still have over top players is kind of incredible due to all the history and all the success of both clubs. So that's one of the advantages. Um, Then the other the other thing that I would point out is that um, there are, as Barcelona has shown, there are there's always some financial engineering. That you can that you can do to remain competitive, because um whatever complaints one can have about uh, Barcelona's uh, use of palancas, um I mean, for the most part, they managed to remain within regulation, uh, and it helped them win the league. It helped them win the league. So there are those uh, sometimes, like I-, I was thinking it's like, okay, so at this point, if you're a football club, like what do you spend money on? Okay, So a good recruitment department how about you spend that money on like really smart accountants and finance people who can figure out the loopholes in the rules? I mean, Chelsea has probably like a big department of lawyers figuring out that kind of, that kind of stuff right now. So that's an edge that you can also use uh, to remain competitive. And 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 then there's the third thing that I'd like to point out, which is that Real Madrid is trying to find other sources of income and by this i mean uh the whole commercial side of the stadium project and of course if the projections uh that the club has given are correct then that's going to be an extra okay so due to the uh due to the deal with six street 30% of those well it's not 30% of the 250 it's but like i still think the club can make uh even even though they that some of the rights can still make like 200 a year from those uh from the new stadium that's a lot of mo- like that's a lot of money getting those getting if, if those projections are correct this would be a huge competitive boost for real madrid so um given all of those factors i think I think it's very I just don't see the switch to private ownership needed anytime in the in the near future. like if we've if we've done this 10, like if we've done all of the things I said before for 10 years and then we see it doesn't work, um then maybe one can have a discussion about it. But right now switching to private ownership is like at the very bottom of the, the things that the club needs to do to remain competitive
1: well so the Sixth street deal just to put it in numbers after the cut is an additional 100 million revenue that's after six streets uh cut because there was a, there was a baseline guarantee i think mm-hmm. um yeah. if you if you, if if uh if you remember it wasn't just a percentage it was also a baseline minimum that six street has to pay ramjian annually um and of course We've already, like, when I first, when we first saw the deal, and you also see who Sixth Street is partners with um, from UFC to a bunch of American sports teams. Um, They do some tennis, too. I think Wimbledon. You're like, oh, wow, that's really cool to have that stuff in the burnabout. And then you finally see it actually happening, like t- Taylor Swift coming to the burnabout. That alone should be able to fund some some... <laughs> You buy an M- ba-
0: you, you buy like two Mbappes
1: out of that. Taylor Swift in one night can buy two Mbappes. I want. I actually wonder how much they make from that because we know Taylor Swift herself takes a huge, huge portion of the money that that comes um, in with those with those ticket sales. But um, that's a different story. So there's things like that. I actually wonder, uh, with Barca because you mentioned it did help them win La Liga. Of course, it did. They also had budgeted with all their levers that will make the Champions League quarterfinals and they failed to do that. They missed out a huge lot a lot of prize money. So it was always gonna be a massive risk to pull those levers and maybe not be able to recoup it. Uh because I think their initial thought process was like, okay, we improve our squad, we take all these gambles, but in improving these squads, the squad short term, we win trophies, we get far in the Champions League, we recoup that prize money with with the additional revenue, we'll buy back our rights that we've sold. Um, and I don't know if that necessarily will happen now. And I also, I think they, I think they would. What do you think, Jose? I think they would redo some of those. Like I don't think they would do Ferran Torres again if they knew if they knew how he turned out, right? That's one.
0: Yeah. Were there any others? I think the biggest one that I think about a lot of the time is Ferran. Uh, yeah. I like I, the way I saw it. They had like one winger too many. It's like it, like out of Ferran, uh, Rafinha, Dembele, you you choose to you choose two of them. But getting and I would say okay, so you had to choose. Yeah, so you had to discard one of the ones that cost sixty million, which were Ferran. Uh, or Rafinha so one of them seemed unnecessary uh the Lewandowski gamble i think was more reasonable uh and it certainly helped like that being said it's turning we'll see if Lewandowski can uh, can recover but it's looking a bit like it, it's looking more short term than i thought let's put it that way
1: yeah um and you can kind of see the dominoes of that this summer they've spent 3 million so far and I don't know how much that changes in the rest of the window. Um, the, the last part of this question, can Madrid sustain this level long-term without switching to private ownership? What are your feelings? I think they can. I think they have a long-term blueprint with a lot of money coming in and additional revenue. Yep. No, they don't have the infinite pockets of Saudi Arabia, but they have a marketing machine and they do a lot of great business deals. I'm not worried about Real Madrid. I've said this many times. I'm worried about La Liga, not Real Madrid, but of course, Yep. Having La Liga in a bad state is not good for Real Madrid either. So it's not that it doesn't affect them. It does. Um, and, I, and I sincerely hope that Madrid never switches to private ownership. I feel like that'll be a really sad day if that ever happens. I like what system we have now. Um, it's not to say that every president in every era will be great. Certainly not. But the great thing is that you can vote out those presidents after X amount of years. And uh, yep. we can vote a new one in. Vote is a generous term for Florentino running by himself every time, but <laughs> but you yes. you get my you get my my drift. Um, all right, interesting. Ranta says Jürgen Klopp doesn't look like he's interested in the job, but since we are signing all his dream midfielders, do you think there's any chance he will join us in the future? Is he the coach who could get the most out of the potential of our midfield?
0: Hmm. Mhm. So this one's a fun, this one's fun because um I, like I get where he's going at um and, and and if we're on and to be honest I mean Real Madrid especially now that uh, like look at how they're playing the last couple like the last couple of games like a very high intensity approach with uh, midfielders with great physical and te- and technical ability uh yeah you would think like that kind of high intensity approach looks like it would be a really nice fit for Jurgen Klopp uh but personally i'm not that much of a fan of klopp in the context of real madrid mm. uh the the main reason being that uh he's a bit more, like, say, compared to, Cidad, to Zidane, Ancelotti, the kind of coach del Bosque, the kind of coach who's usually really succeeded here at Real Madrid, uh, he's a bit more rigid when it comes to the style. And I think in Real Madrid, you need a bit more flexibility in that regard. That would be my main concern.
1: That's interesting. Um I thought you were going to take it into a different direction and talk about he doesn't have the man manager side of things which um which I think he does I think but, he does yeah but you 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 brought up a different point which is interesting is that he's more tactically rigid yes um than Ancelotti and Zidane which I think that's something that Ancelotti and Zidane both had they they were very flexible and they were very malleable in their identity based on the situation um I'd love to see Klopp, what he could do with this team personally, if I'm being quite frank. Um, in terms of if you were to ha- implement a successful version of his rigid football, I feel like we have the midfield legs to do it, right? Um, the 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 infinite pressing machine from 1 to 90 at the peak of what they were doing in Liverpool. We have the athletic ability and the depth in midfield to do that. Um, so I'd be interested for sure. It's funny because like you look at Liverpool and club and we always talk. I feel about these in these terms of the Premier League is thriving in this in their own, their own Super League. But it's funny. And I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast that within the Premier League, you have teams that are suffering because of this. Like Liverpool can't compete with City and Newcastle when it comes to signing. And you look at how much more difficult it is for Klopp to sign the players he wants compared to those other teams. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of sucks for, for teams like them and Tottenham who are, who are not getting, you know, the share of the other teams like Newcastle and city. Um,
0: yeah. And also for teams like them, like every, every gamble that, that, fails in terms of transfers is difficult to recover from like newcastle and city can recover from bad transfers for liverpool uh, that's more that's more difficult the other thing that i'd like to add is that while i did talk about him being a bit more rigid um i also think okay let's ignore all the barcelona history would i have guardiola uh, guardiola in real madrid gladly um even though i also consider him maybe a, a bit more on the system si- side of co- of coaches and i think uh despite my concerns i think guardiola and klopp are probably the best managers i can think of when it comes to implementing systems uh and i think if there's if there are like generally real madrid has been like a players over system club so i am a bit afraid of having system managers at Real Madrid. But if there are two guys, uh, two coaches that I think are capable of doing it, even in the Real Madrid context, it would be Klopp and Guardiola.
1: Yeah. Um, It's interesting because, you know, I have this debate obviously with Diego all the time. And... uh, and he says there's only one way to play football. This is it. Everyone else is basically inferior. I'm paraphrasing, but this is really how they, <laughs> these guys think, right? Um, and I would say, like, I'm really thankful for our tactical versatility because I don't think we win as many Champions League titles as we do without it. Um, and I think when when you say players above system, I think what that also means is is that uh, we cater to our best players. And yep. You know it's funny I was I'm I'm in the Hugo Sanchez part of my book right now. If you guys follow me on Twitter, you'll probably see that with my Hugo Sanchez tweets. But the 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 no nonsense verticality he would play with just and scoring with one touch. The fans loved him because there was no nonsense. It wasn't dallying on the ball. It wasn't anything like, you know, take a take a touch, dribble Multiple passes, work the ball around it was like just get the ball in the back of the net as quickly as possible and Jorge Valdano once spoke about this too in one of his columns where he said Amrud's identity is point A to point B as quick as possible that's it um and I thought I almost that always stuck with me and Matt sometimes brings that up on the podcast too and uh yeah I think I think the versatility is really handy and you look at you can see the track record you know between Pep even. Or Barca compared to that of Real Madrid. And you think back to some of the quarterfinals, Pep versus Ancelotti in 2014, for example, Bayern versus Real Madrid, where we sat back. Bayern had no idea how to get into our box and we just murdered them on the counterattack. And I, you know, would would Pep or Xavi ever play that way? I doubt it. Um, there are situations where, because of the game state, they are forced to. Like you think back to Pep. Yeah. Versus Atletico a couple years ago, I think it was. I don't remember again. Yeah. Time is blurry, but you know, but those are situations where I don't think it was big by design. They were just pinned. Um, so I'm thankful for it. Sports social podcast network.